Hi everyone, how's it going? It's me again on the Stars and Startups podcast. I'm your host Varun Bhumidi. Today we chat with the CEO of Exigo, a business that can be truly called a travel industry veteran in India. Alok and Rajneesh have been in the travel ecosystem since the time they graduated from the IIT in 2001. They've been building Exigo for over 14 years, building a travel business frugally, hacking their way through many industry and business cycles. have created an ecosystem of apps that have become leaders in their space to serve 170 million users in their lifetime in this conversation alok shares his journey of starting up getting through previous cycles and lessons that can be used to navigate the current situation let's hear from alok bajpai hey alok welcome to the show hi varun thank you for having me you're someone who loves travel and you've spent so much time in this industry how lockdown must be hard on you because you know you really can't leave uh maybe 2000 square feet of space yeah so uh, <clears throat> definitely it's a change that we've all been adapting to uh, uh i think uh, people feel that uh, folks in the travel industry travel a lot but you know we wish uh, we got more time to travel ourselves we were too busy helping others travel uh but it's been very interesting to uh, uh to see how uh, you know this entire change has uh, uh, brought the whole industry together and you know um it also as things open up you know we are seeing uh, uh, very interesting green shoots we'll talk more about it did you always aspire to go to an iit yeah i think i was in 8th standard when my dad uh, we used to live in kanpur actually so my dad took me uh, to a tour of uh, the iit campus and it was a really serene calm uh, you know environment unlike the rest of kanpur uh, which if you've ever been there probably one of the most uh, hustling bustling cities you know in the hinterland so uh, so you know that uh, that place really kind of impressed me in terms of me wanting to be there at some point um, and of course by the time you were in high school you know you uh, those were the days when you either had to become an engineer or a doctor or uh or your parents made you feel that you know you you're not doing justice to your work right so um so i think there was some obviously uh, i i wouldn't say there was too much pressure from the parents but i i had this aspiration of my own because i really love maths good with science i don't think but you know engineering is something that that i definitely wanted to do by the time i was in 11th i was very clear that 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 that's what i made for in life yeah. building so stuff. you had this uh interest in building stuff you're like okay i need to go to engineering uh, uh college to do that and uh you know was it were you set on iit yeah that was the aspiration uh, uh i actually did also get through bits pilani because i was uh, also one of the top rankers in uh, 12th standard um and that was the year where uh, je got cancelled and had to be redone so i spent interestingly i spent a month at bits pilani and then got the je result and then moved to move back to iit kanpur and i still remember uh, that one month was very interesting spent uh, in a small town in rajasthan again a very nice campus um uh, but yeah i was hell bent on going to iit just you know so that iit kanpur in those days was the best uh, you know engineering college in india uh, by far because computer science and all that you know um, we had the best mainframes and uh, the best computer science infrastructure so uh that's something i really wanted to get into yeah okay so you had like a a, a key interest even in, in con- computers at that time 
because I I know when you yeah. graduate from IIT, you uh, got a job as a as a software developer at uh, yeah, yeah. Abadias, right? Um, what, was that a, a, a campus placement? Was that like okay, you know, day one, day zero? What is the placement? Yeah, so um, it was actually quite weird. So we got a um, uh, we got a out of campus sort of opportunity where people had to apply to, and this was very rare. So um, we applied to those. This was uh, at that time we didn't even know what Amadeus did, honestly, but we knew that this was France and a beautiful place by the Mediterranean. So it piqued our interest. Uh, we applied to it, and then we got interviews done in Delhi, and, and then these guys actually flew the final round shortlist to Nice for a week and wow. floored us with the <laughs> floored us with their campus and you know uh, the the beautiful uh, uh, scenery around and and I think uh, that's what made us join them only later we discovered that they are the largest travel technology provider in the world for airlines um, so it was yeah very interesting uh, journey computers you know my love for computers began very early my dad had the foresight to uh, put me into a uh, you know, computer course for kids back when I was eight years old uh, on a Macintosh, you know, so they, we had a institute near our home, which uh, was offering this. Um, and we used to live in Kenya back then. So Mombasa, we had a small institute that uh, I went to for my first experience with computers. And I was intrigued ever since. And uh, so even in school, you know, I did spend a lot of time in the computer lab and and then at IIT, you would find me more often sitting in the comp, comp center than the uh, library, for instance. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, uh, was it mostly like gaming or just writing code? What were you doing? Like... Writing code, uh, figuring out ethical hacking techniques, you know, uh, uh, you know, just, just figuring out how things work, right? I mean, that's something that I've always been passionate about, like, Figuring out, okay, we had Linux very early days of Linux back then, mm. 97, 98. I'm talking about like uh, Linux itself was a, maybe a couple of years old. Right. Um, and, you know, just being able to compile a, a OS yourself, etc., gave a lot of high in those days. You know, but when you uh, look at 2000, that was like the, the bubble also for the US, uh, right? The first crash mm. uh, in the US. So there was a, a lot of demystification of, you know, technology in itself at that time. Uh, did that dissuade yeah. you at all? That maybe this is temporary? So actually, yeah, I, actually the, uh, the bubble crashed. Uh, it started to crash around middle of 2001 when we had already graduated. But, uh, but I think there were early signs. And then... I, I think it was only after September 11 that, you know, uh, things really collapsed uh, in terms of the economy. So I think at the time we graduated, the economy was doing fairly well at the time when we got our jobs, which was end of 2000. Um, and, I, you know, uh, very quickly after that, the environment degraded. So we were just lucky to have jobs at that stage. Uh -huh. We actually won a business plan competition like me and a couple of other colleagues in January uh, 2001 and you know there were a bunch of angels who wanted to give us some money to play with that but then because of what was happening in the US that didn't work out so, so you know the job opportunity uh, was the next best option obviously. Oh, so you, you had the entrepreneurial bug in college itself and you kind of uh, looked at uh, 
you know building a startup right out of uh, uh, college maybe drop yeah, out yeah so uh, <laughs> well we had this uh, first business plan competition ever at iit and we had a couple of uh, uh, iit kanpur alumni who would come from silicon valley to judge it and we uh, we were uh, first runner up so second prize essentially at that competition and there was talks of angel money and all that going on for getting like i don't know 25000 to to start up something uh, at that time it was uh, i i think just enthusiasm and you didn't even know how to write a business plan to be honest sure <laughs> um so you go to uh, uh nice and join amadeus uh right and you work in the team uh, for a couple of years uh, is that when you and rajneesh bonded and and you know what was the genesis of of uh, exigo because i'm sure uh, you know you're you're obviously just focusing on you know it's your first job you're yeah. building tech uh, you know it's a new environment uh, there's a lot going on uh, and and i think you also went on to do your mba at insead uh, yeah. right? right and and that's why the top universities in in uh, western europe as well uh, at that time right rajneesh uh, uh, he was my hostel wingmate in fact he was a sidey so the next room to mine uh, in hostel uh, and for for all the four years actually uh, so rajneesh i knew very very well and uh, uh, we did get along and we had a common love for you know everything computing and um and uh, it so happened that we both landed a job at amadeus together right so um rajneesh in fact was not well around the time when you know we had to go and join and so he wanted to you know rethink about his joining and i was like dude you know once in a lifetime opportunity we need to go you know let's get packing yeah. right so so we actually we actually joined together um and we ended up taking a flat together as well so we were flatmates for four years so that uh, sort of made the bonding stronger because we were never roommates earlier uh, we were just uh, wingmates but uh, uh, i think uh, when you do the dishes together or you end up uh, <laughs> uh, um, spending more time i think that that's what led to more creative ideas around things and uh, uh, we always wanted to do something together at some point uh but the opportunity only came after i finished my business school and honestly one of the reasons that uh, led me to think about it was that i didn't land a job that i really wanted so um interviewed for a lot of consulting firms and most of them told me that i can't think straight uh so uh, you know they didn't really make it to my dream big four, big four uh, <laughs> consulting jobs and then um i decided to move back to india immediately because i said that you know if i want to do something else in industry or do something on my own it's going to be then in india because india was looking like the most exciting place to be right uh, continues to be actually even now um, so yeah i moved back i actually uh, uh, first joined a mid-sized travel technology company uh, wanted to stay close to travel that was an industry i really developed a love for during my stint at amadeus and then uh, you know uh, kept in touch with rajneesh uh, on calls and skype and all that uh, and we we just had one moment in 2006 when uh, everything fell into place and we said let's do it right now right so uh, decided to just go and quit my job uh, so i'd worked for almost 8 months by then 
in in that job but uh, the bug was already there yeah. uh, and then convinced lajneesh to also quit and and fly down here uh, and uh, yeah that's how things started so in in that time 2006 uh, like you mentioned where things kind of fell into place i would imagine very few investors and angels uh, were in india uh, but thinking about it in 2006 uh, there were pe funds which probably have a very different mindset uh, but india was still opening up uh, to technology etc it was mostly your infosys and your pcss etc that kind of had it and there was obviously the bpos where a lot of investment had gone in uh, from global players so how did you navigate that uh, how was the first year for you yeah so uh, it was a tough fundraise environment for two reasons one is that uh, three otas had already raised money by the time we launched um, so there was in fact four so clear trip uh, make my trip you know yatra travel guru um, three of them are still around and uh, the other thing was that uh, i think in general there were like very few vc funds very few early stage uh, investors in india like you could literally count them on your finger right and uh, we had, uh, you we, we actually met all of them we probably there were like eight or nine of those uh, we had met all of those and i think most of them uh, either did not understand what we were trying to build because we had uh, at that time wanted to build a meta search uh, which mm-hmm. was something that even the western world uh, had only seen for two or three years uh, in the shape of kayak or sky scanner right and uh, i think for india to digest whether uh, this space i mean i think the question people were struggling with was whether the online travel market itself is big enough because back then we are talking about 30 million internet users that uh, you know and then people are doing their math saying okay 10% usme se flight ticket book kar lenge so how big is that market and all of that that's when i think even deccan had just started right like uh, uh, if you remember deccan air and, and i think that was kind of the entry point for a lot of uh, people start flying because it is affordable it started becoming affordable absolutely. at that time right absolutely so air deccan had started you had uh, at sahara and you had uh, uh, you know couple of other players uh, but uh, yeah that was the starting point for the industry and then you know uh you had kingfisher that over you know took over yeah. and yeah. you had uh, jet airways that continued to do well after that for a while um so the market was just getting started even from a aviation perspective you're right uh, which is why it was very hard to convince the airlines also uh, on a new business model like people are used to the agency business model and they were used to it it was very hard to convince them to come on board a, a meta model or you know a, a lead gen model or of sorts um so it was a double whammy for us because we were building something which was uh, so blue ocean that people would not even know how to work with us right <laughs> so um so yeah i think the first one year was very hard from a fundraise perspective i mean we ended up uh, raising some angel money from family friends and um, i wouldn't call them fools because they gave us money but the three f essentially yeah. um uh, you know but but that was largely the set we raised our first few uh, 100000 dollars from um, and both of us were actually in a lot of financial uh, duress ourselves so i like i used up all my savings on the business school fee uh, and i still had a loan in fact to pay off uh, from that uh, and secondly rajneesh was also going through some uh, you know uh, financial uh, needs of his own in his family that 
that was uh, you know for both of us like it was a drag on our personal savings and resources beyond a point um but uh, thankfully you know we had this network of amazing friends and uh, colleagues and ex colleagues and, and you know yeah. uh, who actually came and supported um and most of those guys actually later on in the journey exited at uh, fairly uh, good uh, returns as well so the first uh, you know the, the genesis of the idea itself right kind of the business models that you started seeing in say the us and and some of these western markets uh, was this uh, what you ex- uh, kind of identified while working on amadeus or was it like hey we're back we're looking to do something uh, and this seems to be a good starting point for us what was the genesis of of exigo so actually uh, you know when rajneesh uh, and i were working for amadeus we used to uh, travel a lot so uh, the good thing about french companies is they give you a lot of vacation so uh, <laughs> we used to make the most about most of uh, them like we literally traveled to almost every country in western europe uh, during that time and and we would travel mostly by flights because you had easy jet and many other low cost carriers right uh, in europe and most of the time you know we would use uh, some of the emerging medicines ourselves because those seem to be you know better in terms of saving time and money um so as a consumer we fell in love with that concept uh, the moment you know we ourselves started using it and uh, the concept itself was probably just a year or two old at that time um in uh, in india you know there was uh, probably there was read of trying to build something similar but there was not not real any uh, meta search player that had emerged by then and we felt that you know as there'll be multiple otas and multiple airlines you know there'll be a scope for a meta search even in the indian context and that's why we kind of took a bet on that um <clears throat> i think the real value add of working for travel uh, tech earlier was that we could design or architect our systems better and uh, um and i think uh, rajneesh and team did a really fantastic job at uh, kind of uh, creating the first uh, uh 2.0 kind of application like back then there was a vast difference between how ixigo used to work and how some of the other otas used to work uh, given we were always ahead in terms of uh, implementation of new things like ajax was something very new back then um, you know being able to asynchronously load the results rather than waiting for uh multiple things to happen you know was uh, was a big uh user experience wow for, uh and also being able to see more accurate information because you know people would use caching uh, very suboptimally so you would see fares that did not exist anymore by the time you went to buy them right you know so some of these small problems we solved them actually better than uh people who were out there uh, it was not just a meta search concept but also a function of uh, uh, new tech innovations that we adopted quite fast which uh, we felt would uh, you know create a vast enough difference for people to come and try us out um, so that's that's what our thesis was back then yeah i I've, i've heard you call yourself uh, the google for uh, travel uh, back in the day uh, so you were obviously helping get the best results for travel uh, probably the best options for the customer did you get users right away they love the simplicity um, what was that experience like sure so uh, so on the day we launched actually we were uh, we uh, ran exigo from servers that were sitting in our office right uh, uh, because we just wanted to test the waters and we sent out a few friends a link 
to uh, the site and the site was hosted from servers in the office and we said try this out check this out right on the day of launch yeah uh, some of our friends liked it so much they actually sent it out to their entire offices uh, and friends and family networks now one of the guys worked at microsoft and he sent everyone at microsoft india an oh, email wow. to check it out uh, so we got like thousands of hits uh, on a, you know like a, a not really a server class machine yeah. sitting in our office on a on a dsl connection of 512 kb uh, which was state of the art back then uh, so <laughs> it was interesting uh, interesting days uh, you know like probably uh, uh, almost brought the site down right almost crashed uh, day one um, and i think what happened very quickly is we realized that uh, word of mouth was very very strong in the first uh, i think the first month itself we got like 30000 plus uh, users uh, within uh, within i think 4 to 5 months we scaled to 100000 uh, monthly active users or more Uh, and this was all organic i mean we didn't have any money when we started so it was all bootstrap so uh, we didn't really spend anything on google until probably middle of 2008 right so uh, it was interesting to see that seo and uh, word of mouth alone uh, started uh, bringing a lot of uh, traffic and and uh, and basis that traffic we were also able to then go and sign up airlines uh, i think our first airline signed up within 3 months of launch How do you guys define that Rajneesh is going to handle tech and you're going to handle business? Was that because you had an MBA and you're like, hey guys, this is how we split? Yes, the guy who's a better programmer gets to be the CTO. <laughs> <laughs> It's as simple as that. And I think the guy who goes to business school by default goes to CEO. I don't think we ever formally kind of because I I did try to write a few lines of code in the early days. but uh, i you know my my passion to learn more things was more on the business and partnership side right uh, because uh, that would be a better use of my degree uh, and uh, i think rajneesh's uh, uh, passion has always been uh, technology and innovation so uh, and till this day you know i think that <laughs> continues to be the case yeah uh, you know like marketing in my mind was also a hacking problem i mean today we start calling it growth hacking but yeah. uh, believe you me like i was looking at this back in 2007 as a hacking problem like how do you hack the seo algorithm and rank yeah. better on google um, how do you kind of uh, hack pr yeah. and start appearing in news right uh, because when you don't have money you have to hack everything right, right. so uh, so marketing was the other area i was very passionate about from day one and for the first one or two years you know i was I was doing all the nuts and bolts myself on that. Well, sales is the most important skill, right? And if you're yeah. uh, and currently, uh, I believe uh, Ixigo has 170 million users, uh, you know, who, who use the platform, uh, and relatively with very little burn uh, compared to you know some of the other players out there. Uh, and for a model that you know, and I want to probe you a little bit about uh, how. Uh, you know, you kind of evolved the the product, right, from being better to what yeah. it is today. But uh, what was the key tenets to having you know this one seventy million users? So you brought up PR hacking, PR hacking, you know, marketing. What were some of the things that you did uh, to be able to drive this kind of user growth? Yeah, so I think uh, in hindsight, you know, like there's just three things that have really worked for us. I mean, one is that. 
you start by letting your product do your marketing right so if your if your product is not as good as uh, you know anyone else in the market there is no reason why people will come to you right so we've always tried to have a differentiating edge uh, or uh, you know a major ux uh, edge over our competitors uh, and at times we've always taken bets to i mean it, the joke in our companies we always take bets too early uh, and sometimes that's also not great but uh, we've been one of those that whether it was mobile uh, whether it was apps whether it was betting on the next billion users on trains uh, or whether it was voice which we are working on now uh, you know like we've been proud of taking those bets very early on because i think uh, as founders if your gut instinct and some of these bets are really about saying hey uh, you know my gut says this is going to work right and you start taking it because no matter what how much analysis you do uh, it's very hard to justify some of those bets at the time when you took them uh, because at that time yeah. the revenue contribution for most of those things would be in less than 1% right when they launch so <laughs> so i think uh, and that gives us an edge against larger companies who will be uh, i i think more risk averse in taking those kind of bets and putting enough resources around it because whether whether it's a, a large player or a small player the number of engineers who work on a very very hard problem uh, which hasn't been solved yet is typically the same which is probably about two or four um, you know so so you are actually competing with just two guys and four guys it doesn't matter how large the other player looks like so so i think our approach has always been you know uh, understand the market better than your competitors we actually never even looked at our competitors in terms of what they were doing which uh, uh, you know at times is perhaps the other reason why we've kind of uh, been ahead because we realized those things looking just at the market and the consumers and their sentiment and their behavior uh till this day i think uh, both of us and and many leadership uh, team members uh, go and read all the play store reviews ourselves to figure out you know what the voice uh, of the customer is really saying um, so i think uh, that staying close to uh, the customer uh, i would say uh, customer centricity people call it people call it uh, uh you know empathy um, uh, you could uh, it also starts coming across as uh customer experience when you start building yeah. uh, you know the, the product to support that but that's been like the second big reason uh we've been very very customer centric uh in our approach we've not shied away from pivoting in one direction if if the market is telling us that um uh, you know ever and and i think that's the reason why we're still around because uh it's a series of small pivots that uh, kept us growing year on year and you know kept us chugging along and uh, the third thing i would say is that uh, you know we've been extremely frugal in our mindset uh, in how we build stuff uh, it's not by design when we started uh, when we started we always had the ambition like everybody else to keep raising more more and more money and and to burn it and grow faster yeah. uh, but but since we were unable to do that in our early years uh, you know we ended up uh, making hard choices that led us to learn things the hard way right so how do you market without money uh, you know how do you hire the best engineers without you know paying them like higher than everybody else in the market right i mean uh, boils down to these kind of problems and situations you know when you're building companies um and and i think that led you to build a muscle that 
works very differently whether it is our content marketing or video marketing capability that we built over time and that's been built over the last 6 years right uh, or whether it is our app marketing and distribution capability uh, or whether it is just our ability to do more with less right so we've got 150 people uh, serving you know like the almost 30 million monthly active users yeah. right um so so i think uh, i think it boils down to these three things which some of them were by design but the others actually were because of circumstances hey guys this is a public service message uh, i'd love for you to leave your email on stars.substack.com so that we can update you whenever i release a new episode uh, if you haven't already done so um, on your favorite podcast player uh, do subscribe so that you can stay in touch and uh, you know listen to all the amazing speakers that i have on my show okay back to the show so when you were talking about uh, by design uh, i i also know you're a big proponent of uh, company culture etc uh, i mean having uh, and, and you know you don't talk about that too much and, and a lot of companies don't um, but if you look at you know what you guys have done uh, you know 14 year journey uh, from 2006 to 2000 you know 20 now and you're still around right uh, as a private privately uh, you know kind of funded uh, business how did you when did that start when did the thought process start um, and and did you put anything in place for that to kind of you know because culture sometimes evolves and then becomes Yeah, but then you can do something, uh, you know, in a very conscious effort, right? Um, what was yeah. your take on that? Yeah, so I think uh, again, uh, uh, you know, I talked about the three things that led us to continue growing year on year and evolving. But if you look at the core uh, of what made us get to where we are, it's really been our people, right? Um, and the culture that those people have built over time right uh, so the way i look at culture now is that you know it's not uh, it's not the poster that you hang on your walls with you know 10 things that you stand for uh, it's actually how you live and uh, breathe every single day you know how, what kind of decisions you take uh, you know who do you hire who do you fire who do you uh, promote right um, and and how you do it uh, you know what do you celebrate what do you uh, Uh, you know child publicly uh, what kind of uh, uh, decisions do you take and how long do you take in taking them do people show up on time you know these are the small things that actually create culture right uh, so i i think uh, back in the days uh, one thing that both rajneesh and i agreed on was that we should be very anal about hiring um, and even if we don't find somebody good for 3 4 months we are not going to hire uh you know somebody sub optimal for the job and in our early years you know some of the people we hire actually uh, uh you know they were really really good i mean uh, some of them went on to start their own companies which they've even like made successful and sold uh, already right so uh, so we are proud that you know we could find and spot such kind of engineers and and people who were self starters uh people who could think uh, actually uh, all our engineers that we hired the one of the benchmarks we used was can this person think all the way till product right so uh it's very rare to find engineers who can think a little bit like product managers at time to time but uh but 
you know in the early days we actually hired a lot of such people uh, and what that does is that it creates autonomy people can take their own decisions and uh, in, in the best interest of the product right and uh, and they can also think more horizontally than than just uh, uh, at the component or feature level right so <clears throat> so i think that was one re- one thing which helped us build a very strong engineering and product culture right so across all teams there is a, a product way of thinking about things right uh, and and that's where the primary uh, hat for for even a, a business guy or a, or a sales guy or a uh, or a content person you know would be like what does it do to to the product right to do this deal or to uh, uh, get this content on and i think that's been key to uh, uh, building the product engineering organization internally uh, and of course keeping the benchmarks very very high on hiring is super critical for that uh, it's very painful because it slows you down um, you know and so that's the other thing we are very very slow at hiring um, we take we take months sometimes to fill roles but uh, uh, i think over time we've also figured out that it's better to do that than to be on the other side where you've hired a lot of people uh, and uh, you know some of them are not performing as what you expected them to uh which 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 is a function over over hiring um uh, so that's one and then the, the rest is you know like during all the events uh which were ever or uh, let's say when we went through the financial crisis in 2008 or yeah. just before this covid situation uh, erupted you know like we've been extremely transparent at all times with our team and when i say team it's not just like the people who report into the two of us but the entire team right um like we typically will do a town hall or all hands meet and tell everyone exactly how much runway we have and and what we need to do to increase that right uh, rather than uh, you know having a, a, a kind of a, a very high level discussion where people still go back with doubts in their head uh, right. so in 2008 like we told people that uh, we we had a broken term sheet um, for series a and then the financial crisis happened Uh, you know it was uh, september 2008 and uh, we had a small town hall like we were 25 people and we said look we are going to run out of cash in 3 4 months if we don't do something right um, and then we found a way to survive that over the next one year and we came out on the other side i mean these kind of events also build your culture yeah uh, in a very very uh, like it becomes a a a, a myth that you know everybody sort of uh, remembers uh, but it uh or a legend so to say yeah. uh, i've i've seen uh, a lot of uh, you know successful startups spawn other startups right so uh, there was a lot written about the citrus mafia and you know i think it started off with paypal and then you know and i've seen okay like a large company like flipkart has you know a lot of people who go on and do other things um yeah I've seen a few, and I think you call them exit gems, uh, who, yeah, who yeah. start uh, other things. Um, you just mentioned they've gone on to, you know, you've found the entrepreneurial spirit in some folks, and they've gone on to do other things. Uh, do you do you back them publicly? Uh, you know, do you you give them their seed round. Uh, how <laughs> how do you uh, handhold them? yeah so uh, you know what we've seen is that uh, people who uh, come with a long term mindset when they join us um, and who prove their commitment and uh, with the passion that they have which is similar to a founder's passion 
you know we find them as natural you know future entrepreneurs and uh, and typically those people would have stayed with us for 5 6 years uh, and seen like at least you know a couple of ups and downs uh, in the journey because that's what builds their entrepreneurial muscle as well um so when these people actually decide to move on uh, even though it's very painful for us because by that time they've become like a pillar for us uh, in in our company but the one single reason which we always tell people we never stop people from leaving is that they are starting something of their own uh, so we actually kind of encourage it uh, we proud that uh, we have at least 20 such companies that have come out uh, you know couple of them in stealth mode at this point but uh, you know at least uh, uh, five of them uh, you know fairly successful and and uh, doing well even at this point but there are at least 20 such uh, uh, you know uh, businesses out there started by exigems or exigems as we say um, and uh, and i think uh, what's interesting is that in some of those companies you know, they've carried on that cultural code uh, which is uh i think something that makes us proud that you know if we built some uh, a cultural code that we are all proud of and and you know they have also kind of adopted it and and not just adopted it now they are kind of spreading that by uh you know doing it in their companies so uh so i think it's 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 good for the ecosystem in general to encourage that i mean if you look at the valley you know that's how the valley got built in many cases we've actually either angel uh, like given these companies an angel round me and rajneesh or uh, you know we've done a lot of mentoring and and hand holding support and uh, putting them in touch with investors and things like that so we do try to help as much as our limited time allows um and uh, uh, and and i foresee that you know it will continue happening given that's become so actually that's become an aspiration now for our best engineers saying that look you know this is a place i can come here uh, spend 5 years learn and then move on and do something of my own uh, it's the best learning ground because you get a lot of responsibility cross functional exposure uh, so it's actually become a great way to also attract good talent like entrepreneurial talent who actually wants yeah. to do that something yeah when uh, you've, you've obviously seen the ups and downs uh, in the market uh, and and now you're you know at a point where again travel is disrupted uh, you know business itself is disrupted right uh, yeah because it's not like any of the earlier uh, kind of calamities right uh, yeah and there's there's a question mark on how travel will look in the future uh, at least in the near future so were there any learnings from like you know your earlier cycles that you are kind of using now yes so uh, i i think that way you can say we've been a bit uh, lucky to be unlucky in the past <laughs> right uh, if you've gone through you know uh, that kind of pain before you know that uh, so there are two things that every every crisis teaches you that number one is that uh, you need you need to act decisively and swiftly uh, before you know it hits you right if you can see it coming um so and we did that uh, back in 2008 when we actually did that town hall and everybody agreed to sort of work at half their salaries for almost a year i think ninth month at least right and yeah. uh, and in return we gave them e-stops and those guys actually uh, in series a you know those guys actually also saw liquidity some of those guys later on started their own companies so 
but the learning was that you know look if it not swiftly told the team what we were going through uh, we would not solve the problem together right so i think that uh, instead of sitting on the problem and just uh, uh, you know being anxious about it as founders and losing your sleep over it i think the moment you share it and your team also feels it's their problem uh, it, it also helps some uh, some of the burden shift to everybody else to help find a solution right. um, and also it sends a signal like you might come out as vulnerable in front of your team uh but later on if they realize that it's not something of your doing they're not going to put the blame on you right they're going to say the situation was averse and you know uh people were transparent so we should help and we've seen this time and again right so uh even in this particular crisis we uh i mean our immediate reaction was that we need to tell the team that look if if we have zero revenue this is how long we'll last right um uh, and therefore you know what do we do to bring down our cost to last longer um and the team was fairly supportive again and you know we we uh, managed to at least so far you know ride the tide and and uh, continue our journey and we expect that uh, as as the market opens up you know things will look better the second thing is that um uh, you know what do you do in terms of uh, <coughs> uh, you know rewarding that team is also extremely critical right because uh, the team comes and shares your pain you also need to make sure they get upside so uh, in all our crises we have actually uh, given more esop to team members who stick around um, and uh, we've seen that very very small percentage actually leave during your difficult times um, and then you realize that some of those are not people you would want on your team any which way for the long term if they can't uh, survive one blow um, so so i think it also teaches you to um, you know identify who your most uh, uh, loyal and supportive folks are and uh, and double down on them right essentially uh, make sure that those people are well incentivized for the long run uh, so yeah i mean i think uh, that's that's the key learnings there so when you came out of 2010 uh, right i i think around that time you also raised uh, around the funding from make my trip uh, around that time uh, was 2011 was, yeah from safe and make my trip yeah so so was that uh, because you needed a strategic partner to to survive another uh, kind of downturn and, and a blow uh, what was the strategy there because you know um, you're not necessarily competing but you're also uh, you know at least at that time you were still an aggregator so you want to be a neutral yeah. party right uh, aggregators yeah. get the most value of being a neutral party so how did that go down and what was the thought behind that right so uh, so actually we got approached by uh, uh, you know stay through the vc and uh, make my trip at the same time and uh, uh, you know we we also considered the fact that we were a non competing at that time and b it was a minority investment with very limited rights attached to uh, you know the strategic so uh, so we did not really uh give away any kind of uh rights that would not allow us to pursue an independent path of our own um uh, and secondly you know there was a vc coming in as well who would always have incentives aligned for building for the long term uh so i think we we went down that path because a uh, uh you know obviously we needed more capital but b we felt at that time and and which uh, also holds to uh, uh is that there's always value in having uh you know a partner which you can also build more commercial uh, uh 
relationship with over time and and for a while you know we did work with make my trip on several initiatives uh, uh, you know on hotels and sure. uh, other areas international flights etc um and uh, since uh, you know later on we became more of an ota i mean that's more recent so um, so i think what happened is that we started as a meta meta works beautifully on desktop because you can open new sites in another tab and continue yeah. the journey uh, the moment you come on mobile you know the meta experience kind of breaks right so around 2012 when we saw mobile emerging as a channel and 2013 14 it became evident that you know a the airlines would always have very clunky mobile websites um, and b uh, you know the deep linking experience was not very optimal i mean even today app deep linking you know at times it works at times it doesn't so yeah. we quickly realized that uh, if mobile was the future uh if that was the platform for the future then then apps would be the engines for the growth and if you have an app it's a captive ecosystem uh where you are better off you know managing the entire transactional funnel yourself because that is what your customer expects so we could see that writing on the wall back in 2014 2015 that you know we need to double down on uh mobile apps and uh, transactions rather than just being a uh, aggregator lead gen platform so i think uh, over time uh you know obviously we've become more competitive uh than than before but also i think over time their stake has gone down because we've also brought in capital from other uh, investors uh to maintain uh, you know a, a a great equilibrium on that front yeah xco has a very solid train booking uh, application uh what was the thought process there because it's kind of well india pretty much takes buses and trains uh flights is still yeah. you know for a small segment and i'm guessing of the 170 million uh you know 80% is probably on those two apps uh right using yeah. trains and buses so was that the thought process Absolutely. to say okay we need to cater to a larger india and, and which is why we're doing this <clears throat> so uh back in the days when we were a meta search uh when we used to analyze uh, google search queries for seo hacking we would see that uh, you know very large number of searches in india are disproportionately larger than flights used to be for train related information right and people would go to the official website but the user experience and the ability to mine into the right information was very limited uh, you know on the official website so we saw a clear opportunity that once mobile becomes dominant uh, building a utility and transaction app uh centered around train at the core uh, would be a game changer because uh, 90% of indians have never taken a flight in their life and probably even one or two year later five years later you know uh, that answer will be 80% and not like substantially different because you know from a, a <clears throat> average income standpoint uh, most people cannot afford to fly and that's a hard reality of this country so so uh, around 2014 when we actually had launched uh, this app uh, our thesis was that if we actually end up growing this part of the segment fast enough uh, at some point it would disrupt you know the upper part of the pyramid so if you look at a pyramid and you say that flights is relevant for the first 100 million users right uh, but the next billion users uh, you know are going to be all about trains and maybe buses and budget hotels and you know things which are it's a pilgrimages and uh, it's a very different market segment it's more uh, vernac 
uh, as well in terms of uh, you know what how you need to think about it these are people using lower end uh, or mid end android devices uh, so you got to keep your app lightweight uh, and you also need to uh, create a lot of informational uh, use cases there because uh, you know for that segment uh, you know portals like tripadvisor or or existing large ots do not provide enough information as well because uh, you know they might have very like the information that guy actually wants is ki uh, if i'm taking this train from patna station you know which which platform shall i go and stand on and where is my coach going to be right because that that's the most relevant information he is seeking at that time and then if he's going for pilgrimage to shirdi he wants to know the timings of the temple and whether he can stay somewhere nearby right uh that's the kind of information you wouldn't find uh, on most of the ota platforms uh, back when we started that uh, train app uh, so the idea was to start as a utility app not a transactional app actually if you look at the entire ixigo journey one thing which is unique and has helped us immensely is that since we were product focused uh, we always thought about the informational use case or the utility use case first and built for that and then move to transactions once we had a significant amount of traffic coming in organically for those utility use cases uh, that story played out on flights and the same story actually played out on trains where we launched for very simple use cases like running status and pnr status uh, and we started using our own users locations uh, so the interesting thing is as you grow you know enough number of exigo users are sitting inside trains and you can use their location to tell others where the train is um, and over time you know what happens is you find so many uh, locations out there that you can now even just see the cell tower id that you are seeing on geo and tell people where the train is so they don't need network they don't need gps they just need a, a i mean they they need the network but they don't need a 4g to be on they don't need internet to be on um, <clears throat> if we just see the cell tower number uh, for that uh, telco we can actually tell you where the train is because we've already got like a massive database of, of cell towers in the country right so so with these kind of innovations we were able to uh, <clears throat> create a very unique system around uh, you know uh, 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 train information and predictions uh, a large part of it is actually ai driven where we mine all this data and then use machine learning to start predicting okay if the train is at this point uh, you know how late is it yeah how late is it likely to be now because in india you know it's it's very hard to tell uh, so, so the trains have their own schedule though yes so so by solving for utility right we uh, growth hack again it was a growth hack to solve for utility because sure. transactions is a little bit harder you have to first get the pgs and the you know uh, the transactional funnels in place and it takes a little while but uh, information is a great hack to uh, you know start bringing the traffic in and then you use these kind of crowdsourced uh, uh, use cases to build the stickiness uh, and then you get into transactions so we did that in 2017 and i think uh, day one when we got into transactions we became like the second biggest partner for icts on transactions like the day we launched um, and and continue to be uh, you know at this point so so i think uh, 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 <clears throat> at the core uh utility or value to the customer remains more important for us in whatever we build uh transactions is is a great way to build that relationship with the customer and and offer him some value but may not be the re- only reason why people actually use it that's the key insight
that's fantastic. Um, it, it's so exciting to see you know how the products have kind of evolved and, and helped to grow. The most important part going into this uh, recession slash uh, you know uh, challenge uh, are you profitable? Are you going to be able to come out uh, you know fine? Because I know that you've constantly been you. I mean, you kept the team quite light, right? You still have a very lean team. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have too much of a, a, a monthly recurring burden, like a, a cost. Yeah. So, are you better prepared this time around? Uh, are, you, are you, you know, are you, do you have to go for another fundraise to kind of, you know, ensure that you stay, you know, on the top of the game? Yeah, so I, I think, uh, um, like I said, you know, we've been lucky to have gone through the pain in the past and uh, built the muscle and the habits that uh, can keep you alive in the next crisis. Um, we are also quite kind of lucky to have turned profitable, uh, you know, at a EBITDA or operating profit level, both, um, you know, early Jan. So, so JFM, you know, we actually, uh, we actually made enough profits to, uh, to give us some additional runway over and above what we already had. Uh, so, uh, you know, at this point, I'll say given the market has opened up and we can see some week-on-week trend lines on how domestic uh, flight bookings are taking off or how trains are trending, uh, we are fairly confident that we are going to come out, uh, you know, uh, quite fine on the other side uh, and much better or maybe even faster than many of the other OTAs. The reason being, see, the, the larger you are in terms of your fixed cost base, the, the bigger your problems are in today's world. Um, and the larger you are in terms of hotels, holidays, or international flights, you're sitting on much larger problems because those things are going to come back last. Our business is centered largely around transportation, you know, flights and trains and, and with some hotels and buses thrown in. Uh, but largely, you know, like we depend on people going from one place to another in India using a flight or a train. Now, a large part of that demand still exists because uh, there are utility use cases and essential use cases as well as you know meeting your friend, friends and family use cases or or your boyfriend or girlfriend is in another city those sort of use cases so again uh, some of that will continue to happen uh, even if leisure travel takes a few more months to come back so we expect that to take a quarter or two to come back uh, uh, you know in, in better shape and form but till then uh, even just the utility uh, non-discretionary travel uh, is a significant part of the market uh, to help you, uh, you know, generate revenues and keep you going. So uh, at this point, I'll say I'm fairly confident that we have uh, enough capital to, uh, you know, uh, see through the next 12 months, even if it takes 12 months to come out of this situation. Uh, and even beyond that, because, uh, you know, we've, we've been profitable and we may we may turn profitable again, uh, you know, in a quarter or two if the things uh, go the way they're going right now because I mean what has happened now people don't realize is that uh, every company's unit economics have improved dramatically because uh, no one is spending anything on marketing right so uh, so you don't need the same scale to turn profitable anymore right because uh, when you don't spend on marketing you know you probably need just half or two-thirds of the scale that you were there at earlier yeah. uh, and you may still have enough margin to to turn profitable again right so um, so that's what our bet is that you know we should be able to get back uh, back in the black, you know, uh, by the end of the year for sure. Again, 
Anok, this has been amazing. Uh, you know, thanks for sharing your journey and, and all the amazing things you've done. Uh, you know, thanks, thanks a lot. It's been fun. Thanks a lot, Varun. And great to uh, have known you for so long since your citrus days when we first right. partnered. Uh, till today, I think uh, still going strong. And good luck to you uh, with all your endeavors. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around till the end. Don't forget to subscribe and share the episode with your friends and those who you uh, think may like the episodes. Uh, and if you haven't already done so, go to stars.substack.com and leave your email so that I can update you uh, every time we release a new episode. Okay, stay safe. <laughs>